This is Matt Woodley at PreachingToday.com, a ministry of Christianity Today, and you're joining us for season number two of Monday Morning Preacher. Great to have you here. I'm here today with Jeff Chang. Jeff is the associate pastor at the Henson Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon. And uh, Jeff, it is great to have you here with us today. It's great to be with you. Thank you. So we're launching our second season with a little different format, Jeff, and you are our first pilot. So thanks for being our pilot preacher. We're going to just spend a little more time just talking to preachers about a recent sermon they did and talking about what happened and uh, how they did it and what they learned from it. And so thanks for joining us, Jeff. And before we launch into your sermon, just tell me a little bit about your personal story, especially as a preacher. When and how did you sense God was calling you to be a pastor and to be a preacher? I began to sense a call to ministry. Shortly after I graduated from college, I was working as a business consultant. Uh, During that time, I was exposed to expositional preaching for the first time, uh, where where preachers like John Piper and R.C. Sproul and these men were opening God's Word, and I was thrilled to see God's glory in His Word. Uh, And the more I encountered God's glory, the more I wanted to share it with others. And so that really began me down the path of pursuing ministry. Uh, It was later on during my seminary years where, particularly through the ministry of of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., I began to sense a calling, not just for kind of preaching in general, but for the local church. And so uh, during my seminary years, really began praying about and pursuing a full-time vocational ministry in the local church context. And I've been pastoring now here at Henson Baptist Church in Portland, Oregon, uh, for the past eight years. It's been a a wonderful eight years of growth, of learning, of, of just getting to preach more and more and kind of finding my own voice in that. So in the last eight years, what has been the most challenging thing about preaching for you? And especially, you know, your your learning phase and getting your preaching ministry launched and all that kind of stuff. What's been the most challenging thing for you? Or maybe the most surprising thing? Whatever. Take one of those questions. I am fortunate at this point to be sort of the second preaching guy here at Henson Baptist Church, so I'm not carrying the main preaching load. It takes some getting used to learning to preach sort of successive sermons, as, as many pastors listening to this podcast will, will know. You know, I, I think the longest streak I've preached so far is five sermons. It, it was surprising to me sort of that that routine of, of having, having to learn to preach kind of in consecutive weeks. Uh, as soon as you're finished preaching one sermon, you're starting to think about the next one, you know, and and that, that Sunday's just always coming down the road. Uh, so just slowly building up sort of my strength, my endurance to to be able to do that, uh, that's been surprising, but then a good learning experience also. You preached a sermon recently on uh, jo- the book of Joshua, a yeah. large chunk, like all of chapters six and seven, basically. How does your preaching team, uh, does it come from your senior pastor? Or how does your preaching team decide what you're going to preach on? And And then the second question is, why do you guys preach in such huge chunks of Scripture? So a- answer the first question first, okay? He gives me uh, a lot of freedom in picking my series. So he will determine sort of what, what he's going to preach on, and I usually try to pick a series that will complement. We, we rarely share series. I, I guess we're, we have in mind what we want to do, so, or he, he certainly does. Uh, so he ends up sort of doing his own series, and you know, on the Sundays where he— is not able to preach, he'll make those available to me, and I will just go ahead and pick out my own series. I try to find something 
that complements it. So if he's preaching the New Testament, I'll go to the Old Testament. And and that's basically it. You know, he, he gives me a lot of flexibility. I, I usually tend to plan on preaching on whatever I'm currently reading in my own quiet times at that moment, because usually that's what I'm mo- most excited about. You know, from time to time, I'll have certain ideas of things I want to preach on, but uh, it, it's it's all very flexible. And it, I, I find that uh, the Lord sort of orchestrates all that to work together. This was your series. You you decided the, the text and... How many sermons was it through the book of Joshua? Yeah, five sermons through the book of Joshua. Long chunks. Long chunks, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, for a book like Joshua, you could spend, you know, longer than five weeks, obviously, in it. And and if I were to preach through it again, I would. Uh, and yet you you wouldn't want to spend the whole year in it either. Probably <laughs> not. Yeah, so uh, sometimes the, the longer chunks help helps the people sort of see what's going on in the book as a whole, gives them sort of... A, a bigger overview of the book, and it makes it a little less intimidating, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. So you give a the whole kind of narrative, you get the narrative arc really flowing, yeah. and yeah, that that, right. that makes a lot of sense. So not only was this a large text, but it was also a very challenging text. So you had things like the judgment on the Canaanites, the destruction of Jericho, the judgment on Achan and his family. When you first started digging into this text, just tell us honestly, I mean, what did you feel? Did you feel like, oh, yeah, I get to preach on judgment? Um, or what, what did you feel as you were just first getting into it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a daunting thing to preach through those, those texts. Uh, you know, here in, in kind of progressive, postmodern Portland, the thought of God's judgment, you know, these violent texts— uh, you know, they'll be offensive to the average sort of Portlandian listener. That is intimidating. Um, I didn't want to spend all my time giving an apologetic for those things, uh, but I knew that something was needed also, you know, some kind of explanation. Uh, but then uh, I knew also that I wanted to get quickly to the main point of those texts, which is I think that they point to kind of something significant in redemptive history, namely God's judgment, right? that what was going on there in Canaan uh, was more than just kind of tribal warfare, but uh, it was sort of a picture in history of God's future judgment to come. Uh, and so a, a theological point needed to be made, and, and that's what I wanted to get to. Yeah, I thought, I thought you did a really good job with that. It was, it was concise. It was clear. You didn't uh, shirk, you didn't ignore it, but then you didn't belabor it either. I just thought it was a really good balance, which is really, that's really hard to do. So I really commend you for that. You said it was a little intimidating. I, I have a friend who, who, or a mentor, he likes to say that courage is not the absence of fear. It's feeling fear, but then just, but doing the right thing anyway, by God's grace. So, so when you preach hard texts like this, do you, you, you you used the word intimidated. Unpack that a little bit more. Was it just sort of a fleeting intimidation and boom, you're on to the next thing? Or how, how did you deal with that? You know, God was really kind in, in an unexpected way. And this is unique to my experience of preaching this sermon. But just the week before, kind of during the week as I was leading up to the sermon, uh, we had learned here in Portland that there were two kind of prominent church leaders who had fallen into sin and disqualified themselves from ministry. And uh, they weren't uh, in our congregation, but they were associated with our congregation. Many of our people served under them or, or worked with them. And, and that rocked a lot of our people. Uh, so even 
the, uh, that week, uh, I was pastorally caring for a number of people in our congregation, having conversations, helping them work through their grief and anger and so forth. And so with that event uh, in the back of my mind, as I looked at this text and thought about God's judgment, thought about Achan and his hidden sin, and the way that was exposed, uh, and the way God brought judgment as a result, I just thought, boy, um, I, I'm eager to preach this text. You know, I, this God has very kindly brought this text for this week. And, and so uh, being confident of that, um, I was you know, kind of ready to, to bring it to the people. Uh, you know, for, for pastors who perhaps feel intimidated or you know, a little bit daunted by a text like this, I would just say, you know, I, I trust that the Holy Spirit will do His work, you know, in all the different circumstances going on in your congregation. Uh, I was very blessed to sort of be aware of one circumstance that our congregation sort of was going through. Uh, and yet I trust there were others also where this the message of this text spoke to them. I sensed in your sermon a real confidence in the Word of God to make itself relevant, you know? Um and I thought you did a really good job of that. So thanks for just not flinching, going after the hard stuff, pressing into it. But I also noticed you um, a couple times, you would sort of identify with your listeners and you would say, well, the sun is shining. It's, it's a beautiful day. And, and how could I ever think that God is going to judge the world? And so you kind of stepped into their shoes and identified with them which is something I've learned to do from Tim Keller. He's like really good at that. But I don't know, is that something intentionally that you do? Yeah, as a preacher, I am often trying to think of uh, the, the listener's perspective, uh, trying to put myself in their shoes. And I, I, want, I, I want to, you know, you can preach about theological truths like God's judgment, and it may seem sort of true and maybe kind of abstract, but really pressing it into that present moment, you know, and helping people... Uh, see it kind of on the ground. So uh, I'm constantly striving for that. I don't, I don't know that I always get there, but you know, in that particular phrase that you're mentioning, that's what I was getting at, you know, trying to help think it in, in concrete terms. Back to your sermon itself. Um, what is your normal sermon prep process look like? Uh, do you have a routine that you try to follow? I, you know, we all know there's interruptions and stuff happens in pastoral ministry, but is there a, a routine that you like to follow in your sermon prep process? So walk us through that sort of like Monday to Sunday morning. Monday through Friday uh, is sort of my, my prep process. Monday through Wednesday, I'm actually not doing any prep, uh, sort of in the office. Uh, rather, I, I might be reading the text in my own quiet times, you know, or in addition to other things that I'm reading. Uh, so I'm thinking about it. I'm praying about it. I'm reading it more devotionally. During our staff meeting, we always read uh, scripture and pray before we start our staff meeting. And the text we'll read is the, the text that will be preached on. So, you know, I, even the week leading up to it, I, I was read, we were reading it together as a staff. And, and it was, it's so helpful to hear the other staff pray through that text, you know, as we pray in response to what we've read. Um, so kind of Monday through Wednesday, it, it's just more of a devotional process, just kind of letting it sink into my own heart. Uh, come Thursday, my, my actual sermon prep time, I, I take two days. So Thursday is, is basically study. Uh, I, I'm, I'm reading through the text multiple times, uh, writing down my insights, my observations, my questions. I, I do that for you know most of the morning. Uh, by the afternoon, uh, I'm beginning to consult commentaries, uh, trying to answer particular questions that I have, um, work through difficult things. 
you know, for a larger text like this, I won't spend much time in the original languages, but for smaller texts, I can do that. Uh, I, I will look at multiple translations, though, just to try to note any kind of translating difficulties and be aware, being aware of those. By the end of Thursday, my goal is just to have an outline, both an exegetical outline of the text, but then also a, hopefully a, a decent homiletical outline of the sermon. And then by Friday, Friday morning, I, I'm usually sitting down with another brother in the church, maybe one of our pastoral residents, maybe somebody from my small group, and we're thinking through application together. So I'm talking through all the work that I've done so far, hearing his thoughts, because he'll have read the text also ahead of time. And, uh, and we're just talking through application. I'm thinking through different categories, you know, Christian, non-Christian, men, women, single, married, so forth. Uh, I've got a number of categories. And then by kind of morning and then the rest of the afternoon, I'm, I'm trying to write out a full manuscript. So you do yeah. write a full manuscript? I do. And then what do you carry into the pulpit with you? I, I bring the full manuscript. I notice you printed out very large font, all 16 pages of very large font. Yeah, I'm, I'm preaching from my iPad these days, so... The large font helps on the iPad, but... So complete manuscript, word for word, and then you bring the whole thing into the pulpit, or, you know, do you have a pulpit? Lectern? Okay. So that's a li- I think that's a little unusual to bring mm-hmm. the whole manuscript in, but that works for you. Why, why do you do that? Yeah, you know, I would love to get to the point where I can write shorter manuscripts, you know, maybe even kind of full outlines, and preach more extemporaneously, though at this point in my preaching, I find that... I have more freedom in the pulpit if I have the full manuscript yeah. in front of me. So I, I hope that as you listen to the podcast that you didn't feel like I was reading. I, I, I try to avoid that sort of sense. You know, I work on eye contact, all those yeah. things. But in terms of expressiveness, in terms of kind of saying what I want to say, the full manuscript helps me. I know some other preachers that I really respect a lot. They do the same thing. I would say it's, a, it's not common, but they say, they say exactly the same thing. The actually the manuscript gives me more freedom. I, I feel like I'm not tied to it, but I feel like I'm really interacting with people. But I just have it, it actually frees me up more than uh, bottles me up. It, it works for you. It forces me to think through kind of all my transitions, right? All all my applications. I often find that in my mind it all makes sense, but once I start putting it down on paper. Like I realize, oh, this is not flowing. This isn't connecting, you know. And even if I were to just just take notes, I think I would still want to manuscript it first and then bring something else to the pulpit. But yeah, at this point, manuscript helps. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been preaching for 25 years now plus, uh, and I used to write manuscripts, and then I stopped writing manuscripts, and I listened to a – I had one of my sermons transcribed, and I noticed I did a lot of um and like – and um, see, I'm doing it again. And my transitions weren't real sharp. So I went back to writing manuscripts. Uh, so I've started to do that again over the last year. But I don't, I don't bring that. Then I reduce it to an outline. But I, I really need the discipline of writing the manuscript, getting it really precise, getting it compact. So yeah, it's just interesting how different preachers do it. Um, I noticed something, Jeff, and I don't know if you you noticed this about yourself, but you have a really excellent way of writing for the ear, not the eye. Um, so a sense of, I'd call it, the fancy term would be homiletical orality. And let me give you some examples of some things you do so preachers will know what I'm talking about. 
You use short sentences rather than long, complex sentences. You use a lot of active, crisp verbs. Um, you use shorter words uh, when you can rather than a longer, complex word. Um, I just want to say it was really well done, and I really noticed that in your preaching. Do you try to do that, or does that just come naturally to you? Yeah, that, that's intentional. You know, Even though I, I'm writing a manuscript, I do write it as if I'm saying it. You know, so I, I, I go ahead and put in the contractions, uh, try to shorten up my sentences. After I write the manuscript, I do spend time on Sunday morning editing it. And usually what I'm doing there is just that, what you said, kind of shortening my sentences, uh, removing kind of the real complex, multiple compound sentences kind of thing, and just making it simpler. You know, I think the, the goal is, is always clarity. You, know, you want to get across something that people can kind of understand clearly, uh, kind of grasp. Yeah, you do it really well. Did you learn that from a preacher or did you learn that from like a writing class or uh, an author? Or how, how did you learn how to do that? I think that just comes from listening to other preachers, I think. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, guys like Mark Dever and, 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 and Piper and others, you know. Well, actually, Piper uses some pretty complicated sentences sometimes. I, I find that my kind of favorite preachers are pretty concise, clear. Cutting the clutter is really hard to do in either good preaching or good writing. Another thing I notice you do is you you refer to your listeners uh, as friends a lot. You're saying, friends, I want you to know this, or friends, look at this in the text, or things like that. It sounded like, to me, it sounded like affectionate. It sounds like I'm your pastor. I'm talking to you as your friend, too, though. Um, so, again, was that intentional, or tell, tell me about that. It's become sort of a, a go-to kind of name I use for the congregation in many ways. I, I do... If I'm speaking particularly to non-Christians or to Christians, I will make that clear. Uh, but when I'm just speaking to the congregation in general, yeah, I, I want to convey warmth. I want to convey kind of that pastoral sense. So I hope that comes across. You know, I, it, when I say that, I know that I can spe I'm speaking more generally both to Christians and non-Christians, and I want both thinking about what I'm saying. Yeah, I just uh, I noticed it, and I thought it was uh, it it stood out in the sermon. Uh, so tell us what happened after you preached this sermon. Did you get any feedback? Any positive? Any critical feedback? Any comments? Uh, again, a long text, hard subject. Uh, what kind of feedback did you get? The sermon was well received. I had lots of good conversations at the door. We always do a service review uh, on Sunday evenings after our our Sunday evening prayer meeting, um, and we have. Uh, some elders there, other staff, but also other members of the church. And, and people went around and kind of, they, they give both encouragement and kind of critique on the sermon. Uh, it's, a, it's a good atmosphere. So, you know, I don't feel defensive or anything like that. I'm grateful for that time. Uh, by and large, the feedback that I heard that evening was, was mostly positive. People were appreciative and, and so grateful for how, like I said, how the sermon fit into the life of our church that week. One particular piece of feedback, which is an area I want to grow in, I think there was one point in the sermon where I was talking about the need for confession of sin. And I mentioned, you know, finding people to confess sin to. I mentioned, you know, our struggle with, with sexual sin and, and, you know, for the, for the brothers, maybe needing to find accountability software, different things to help them be able to confess sin. And one of the brothers said, you know, on that point, maybe it would have been helpful to think about application geared towards the sisters. You know, what would it look like for them? That's sin, you know, and and that that was good 
good feedback. I think often I naturally just think of my own life, you know, when I think of application, but to try to include more of the congregation. It's easy for us who are male preachers to see the world through our eyes. So that's, that's really good to keep that in mind. What happens to you after you preach? You know, I, I feel really tired and really drained. I, I, how, and then I need, I have like a routine of recovery uh, how do you feel after you preach the next day or two? And then how do you recover post-sermon? You know, for me, Sunday, like I said, we have an evening service, which is a prayer meeting. Often the, the preacher is the one who leads that evening prayer meeting. I don't know why we do that. We got multiple pastors on staff. We should probably distribute the work a little bit better. But for whatever reason, you know, the preacher ends up leading the Sunday evening service, which I had to do that evening. And uh, and then there's that service review meeting afterwards. So by the end of Sunday. I am just wiped. By God's grace, the, the office is closed on Mondays. So, so Mondays are just uh, much slower. I'm spending time with the family. I'm, I'm sleeping in. I'm resting, reading. Uh, yeah, I, I think at this point, I'm still fairly young, still have good energy. By Tuesday, I'm ready to go again. But, but that Monday is key for me. You know, making sure, especially, that I, I have time to be in the Word and in prayer, praying for good fruit from the sermon. On Mondays. I would not want to lead a prayer meeting after I preach. That's what I'm thinking. That would be maybe I'm not very spiritual, but that would be like one of the last things I'd want to do. Watch a football game, watch a movie, go for a walk out in the woods, but hang out with friends or family. But you know, I feel that way leading up to that prayer meeting. But once I'm there, I'm with the church family. It's sweet. Okay, I- good. Good to hear, man. You have a better attitude than I would. So. Jeff, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're reading these days. I know uh, I understand you're working on a dissertation, so you might just be reading stuff for a dissertation. But what what kind of stuff feeds your mind and soul and imagination as a preacher? And I, I'm not especially I'm not talking about preaching books, um, and maybe not even theology books. Just you know, some people, some preachers love history, novels, whatever. What what sort of fuels your mind and imagination? I am working on dissertation these days, and so there's actually very little room for kind of <laughs> pleasure reading. But I am my dissertation, Lord willing, uh, is going to be on Charles Spurgeon and his theology. Uh, I, I hear he was a decent preacher. So yeah, <laughs> he was pretty good. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, being sort of immersed in his sermons has been good for me. You know, uh, you were asking earlier about sort of homiletical orality. I mean, this guy, uh, the, the, his images, his illustrations, the vividness which with he portrayed the gospel and Christ crucified, uh, it's rubbed off on me in many ways. Now, I'm trying to incorporate some of that in my preaching, uh, but, but even if not, I'm kind of personally being edified by, by his sermons, by his writings. So these days, you know, in terms of kind of what I'm enjoying to read, you know, what I'm really interested in, it's, it's been fun to to dive into Spurgeon. Yeah, I love his sense of vividness. I, I can see how you could learn a lot from just being immersed in, in his writings. Maybe this is a same question, but is there any specific way where you feel like you're really growing as a preacher these days? Like you, you know you want to get better in this specific area. I think I continue to want to get better in my, my delivery. You know, uh, b- being, you know, Spurgeon was big on this, uh, in terms of, he, he always encourages students to preach extemporaneously. Uh, not that he wouldn't want them to prepare ahead of time and, and walk into the pulpit, having studied God's word and knowing what they're going to say. But 
he encouraged that especially so that they would connect with their, their audiences, you know, to be able to look them in the, in the eyes, uh, to, be able to speak to them earnestly. Um, and, and that's, I feel like an area of growth for me, just in my delivery, not being tied to my manuscript, being able to kind of step aside and look at my people and speak to them about God's grace, about God's love for them, about the seriousness of sin and the reality of a savior. Uh, and, in that, um, like I said earlier, always wanting to grow in, in depth of application. I feel like uh, kind of connecting the text to the lives of our people is such a huge step. You know, we can be easily satisfied with the textual work, but we got to bring it to today. So I, I continually want to, and not just like sort of giving nods application, but really landing it in people's lives. That's, I, I want to grow in that more. I love the idea that you actually meet with somebody to talk about application. That's really good. And and how does this apply to young, old, Christian, non-Christian, women, men? You know, that's a good way to do application. Well, Jeff, thanks a lot for being with us. Really appreciate your time. It's great getting to know what goes on inside your head and heart as you prepare to preach. Um, so thanks for the work that you're doing. That weird city, Portland, Oregon. Keep it weird, man. <laughs> Keep that city weird. Thanks for being with us. Once again, this is Matt Woodley on Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us. Hope you can tune in on our next podcast.